welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, we'll be in Acts chapter 2. So I watched a really awesome documentary the other day. And I know what you're thinking, like a documentary, how awesome can it be? No, this one, this one was really, really, really good. Some of you may remember back in 2018 in Taiwan, a youth soccer team ventured off into a cave. Now at the time that they went in there, this was kind of a local cave. They spent a lot of time playing in the cave. At the time that they went in there, it wasn't dangerous at all. It was the middle of June. It was the dry season. They could go into the cave. But while they were exploring the cave, monsoon rains got there early and just dumped a ton of water on the mountain above the cave. Well, all of that water found cra- uh, cracks and, what do you call it in Arkansas, crannies? Is that it? Cracks and crannies? And made its way down into the cave and they found themselves way back in the cave with the water rising around them and they retreated farther and farther into the cave trying to find some high ground where they could hide or they could hide from the water. Now, what they did find eventually was a little bit of a room that had an air pocket in the top of it and they were able to stay out of the water but they were completely flooded in. The entire cave was underwater. It took searchers almost a week to finally get to them. And it took cave divers two and a half miles of swimming underwater in this cave to locate these boys. Now, I I love this story about them because I think it tells you how precious life is to them. Once they found the boys, they had this problem. How are we going to rescue them? How do we get them out of here? It's not like we can just tell them, hey, hold your breath for two and a half hours while we get you out. They, They were fearful that these boys would not be able to make it out of the cave by scuba diving because they felt they might panic and rip their mask off. And when you're in a cave, it's not like you can just pop up and go get air. And so they were absolutely terrified that these boys were going to die on the way out. And they made the decision to swim an anesthesiologist back into the cave to administer drugs to the boys that would render them unconscious and take their unconscious bodies out by swimming with these cave divers. Absolutely amazing what they were capable to do. Now, now when you hear this story, a lot of the attention gets put on the uh, cave divers, these expert recreational cave divers who came there, plus about 40 uh, Thai Navy SEALs that swam back in the cave and actually swam them out. But if you look at the process to save these boys, it actually was a force of over 10,000 people working to save the lives of these 15 young boys that were trapped back in this cave. And they came from everywhere. There were American pararescue airmen there. There were pump crews that pumped over a billion gallons out of the cave, Search crews with dogs that looked for any crack in the rocks that might grant them access to the boys. Drilling crews who were uh, researching possibly drilling into the cave to get the boys out that way. Expert cavers who knew and had mapped the cave. Crews that went across the mountain looking for holes in rocks that they could cover with tarps to divert water away from the cave. Medical staff. People came from Britain, America, France, Australia, Russia, Denmark, Canada, and more. And they all had one goal, even throughout all of their differences. One goal is we've got to save these boys. And what you find in this story is that these 10,000 people over the course of a couple of weeks in rescuing these boys, they built this community that was all founded around the concept, we will save the life of these 15 boys. And as I looked at that, I was like, that, that reminds me so much of what a church is supposed to look like. 
There should be 10,000 people here. No, I'm kidding. That reminds me of what a church should look like, is we should be a community all working together, building relationships based on the one thing that we all have in common, that we were rescued by Jesus Christ and that we want to see Jesus Christ rescue others. And we see in this that in that rescue attempt, people had to work together. They had to put their differences aside. They had to put themselves aside and create a community which everybody worked together. And as a church, that's what we are. At some point in the past, we begin to define church as the church building. Or sometimes we talk about going to church, meaning the meeting time. But church was never a meeting time. Church was never a building. Church has always been a community of people with that one thing in common. And as we look at our scripture today, what I want to talk to us about is I want to talk to us about being a community and growing our community. Every year at the beginning of the year, Ramsey Heights picks one topic to focus on. In 2018, we focused on prayer, and we spent time during that year focusing on praying for each other, praying as a church, learning to pray in the right way, and growing our prayer lives. Now, at any given time, nobody might be able to quote to you, what's our focus this year? Oh, it's prayer. That's not how it works. But again and again in our teaching and in our series and in the way that we lead the church, we're trying to grow prayer. 2019, we focused on worship. I'm sorry, 2020, we focused on worship. What is worship and how uh, do we worship, especially when it comes to singing? In 2021, we focused on sacrificial service. How can we as a church be better about sacrificing ourselves to serve each other, sacrificing ourselves to serve the community around us? And for 2021, what year are we? 2022. For 2022, our focus this year is building community. If you have your handout in your bulletin and you'd like to fill it out, here we go. 22, our focus is building community in two ways that we want to do this. Number one is individuals growing in a community. And number two, as a church actively pulling others into our community. So last week we began looking in Acts chapter 2 and we looked at an example of a biblical church, the way that God had designed it. He gives these directions to the 12 disciples and says, go out and they immediately do this and you see this church being built around the mission that we call the Great Commission, which simply means that you spread the gospel and that you grow believers in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. Acts continues this story. <clears throat> Acts continues this story. And what I want us to look at is the community that this mission created. So this is Acts 2, verses four, or starting in verse 42. Talking of the disciples. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed, and all that believed were together and had all things in common. So when you look at Acts chapter 2 and it defines what a church should look like, what the first church looked like, there's this process that you see believers go through. Number one, earlier in, in the book, we see obviously a church consists of people who have been saved. You see a salvation of people followed by a baptism of people. After that moment, they begin to gra uh, gather together, growing in the word and in teaching. And out of this teaching, you see a community of people grows that have built relationships with each other. So our first major point up here on the screens again is a church is a community of discipleship. 
Now, now there's two important words there. Discipleship is just a fancy word we use in church that means growing in our understanding and in our knowledge of Christ. So when we talk about discipleship, what we are doing is I am currently engaging in discipleship by studying the word with you. You are currently engaging in discipleship by learning the word. It is all of us coming together to learn how to follow Christ. And I know that sounds so weird, but if you think about it, when you come to church, what do we study? What should a Christian do? How should a Christian live? How do we focus more on God? It's about learning how to follow Christ when our heart tells us to go a different way. The second word there is community. And community is just simply a group of people, for whatever reason, who gather together because they have one common interest. As a church, our common interest is our salvation and our love of our Savior. But you see this across the world in different ways. You've heard Southside called a community, and what does that mean? we all have in common that we're all stuck living together if you get online you'll find communities of people based on hobbies you have a community of Razorback fans across the world that like to sit around and grab about how the Razorbacks aren't doing so hot like like we all have this common interest together and so as a community as a church I want us this year to grow in community because I believe biblically that is where you will grow most in your faith if you are serious about following Jesus Christ, you need community. You need relationships with other followers of Christ to build each other up. And so for 2022, what we will focus on and what we will grow in is building relationships, both by strengthening relationships that we already have and forging new relationships with people that we may not have been close to. I believe that the importance of relationships within the church has been forgotten. Our church culture has kind of shifted over the past 150 years to, to meeting times. And for that reason, a lot of times we've put an emphasis on attendance. Are you here enough? I remember somebody telling me that when they were a young child that they would wear, of course, they'd get all dressed up and they'd wear their suit and tie. And on their suit, they had all of these little pins that their church would purchase. And these were attendance pins. And if you had perfect attendance for Sunday school, they'd put a little pin and you'd walk around. And, and you know, who says that pride is bad in a church? You know, Jesus does, but churches are... I've been here every Sunday. I see you didn't get the pin this year. And attendance is a good thing, but that's not what we're here to do. We're not here to brag about how much we were here or how much we, we weren't here. We're here and we attend because attendance will lead us to connection. You cannot connect with people if you are not in the same building with them. You cannot connect with people if you do not go out and try to grow in your relationships with them. And so with this, we want to see a growth of connection, not just attendance. So how does connection help us grow? Point number one under that is that when you are connected, you will share wisdom. This is a diverse group of people. There are many people in here of different ages, different backgrounds. Some of you grew up here. Some of you moved in from here. Some of you have different strengths. Some of you have different weaknesses. We're all different in the way that we are made, the way that God made us. And he puts us together where all of those strengths and weaknesses kind of mesh out and we can support each other and we can grow together. And in that, there are people in this building today who have something to offer you. As a young person, there are older people here that have lived a life and they have something to offer you. As an older individual, there are young people here that may be able to refresh you with their love for Christ. There is somebody here that has things to offer you and grow you in wisdom. In the same part of it, there is something that you have to offer everybody in this room, a talent or a strength God has put in you. 
Uh, I shared with you last week when we talked about the Great Commission that a failure of mine over the past two years with COVID is that we have not had the Lord's Supper as much as I believe that God requires us to. And, and I said, we're going to fix that this year. We're going to push past the problems and we're going to figure out how to be obedient to God and we're going to work out all of these problems of COVID. And I just agonized over that for weeks. Like, how are we going to make this work now with the changes that we've seen due to COVID? And I sat down with our deacon group on Wednesday and I said, okay, guys, we're going to make this work. I don't care if we have to shut the church down. We're going to have communion together. It took us three minutes, three minutes of collective shared wisdom to come up with a plan and to know what we're going to do because there were people in that room who I could lean on who had wisdom that I didn't have. I love Wednesday soap. I love our Wednesday midweek meeting when we gather together, the adults gather together, and we're all in a room. And the way our soap meetings work, if you've never been there or if that, if that kind of scares you a little bit, is we all sit around, and I don't teach a thing. We open up the Bible, and I read the Bible, and then we take just a few minutes of silence, and everybody just kind of focuses on working through what is the Bible saying to them? What convicts them? What is it that God is trying to say to them? And we just all write that down, and then we have a time of sharing. And what I love about that is in my mindset, when I go into soap, a lot of times something that'll pop out to me has to do with leading a church or being in leadership. But then you'll hear somebody else and they'll share their point of view of the very same scripture and said, this really connected me on how I relate to people within my family. And another person will come in and say, oh, this, this is how um, I should show God to the world. And I learn and we learn together because we share our different experiences and our points of view from different perspectives. And so as a church, we grow in community because there is an understanding that there, or I'm sorry, there is an ability to have shared wisdom. Number two is we grow in community because we share burdens. Life is a, life is a struggle. Like all of it, you guys remember being a teenager, like I can't wait to be an adult and do whatever I want to. Kids, don't do that. It's not fun. Like, like life, is, life is hard sometimes. Do you know a single person in the world that has it all together? Their marriage is good. Their job is good. Their health is good. Their attitude is good. And they're just like, everything's perfect every day. You don't know them here because I know all of y'all. Y'all have problems, right? And I have problems. But, but what, as we get together, what the Bible tells us is we have the ability to share burdens and carry each other's burdens and each other's hardships at times. And so you have a choice in life. Do you go through life alone and disconnected or do you choose a group of people to walk through life with you? And if you choose a group, what group do you choose? I choose y'all because I've seen the power of what God can do in a church when people grow together and build a biblical community where they support each other and carry each other's burdens. I, I, I love this. Uh, several years ago, I asked Ms. Betty about this earlier. Several years ago, Ms. Betty Branscombe had a huge tree, actually several huge trees, blow over in a storm at her house, fell on their, on their new car, totaled the car out, and um, there was just this huge, you know, we've got to get this tree off the car, the trees everywhere. And, and the call went out to the people of Ramsey Heights. I got this call. I said, hey, Brian, uh, we're all going over to uh, Miss Betty's house. They've had a tree fall down. Do you have a chainsaw? Well, yeah. So me and my grandpa hop in the truck and we get over there. And by the time we got there, the tree was half gone. And there was this swarm of people from Ramsey Heights, the swarm of people from the church, supporting and helping carry the burden of one of our members, helping each other in times of hardship. 
And, and as a church, that's what we should do is share the burdens of each other. And that may be helping when possible. Many times that is simply just, I'm praying for you and, and meaning it. And going to God again and again for people that we love and praying for their problems and for their burdens. At times it may become to biblical advice and encouragement as people deal with struggles. Number three, we, we connect and we grow in community because we share accountability. See, we reorient our lives around Christ when we come to be a Christian. We, we, we build this life around how does God say that we should live versus how would I normally live? And there's always this voice of temptation in the back of our minds that says, take another road, T take another path, go a different direction. And if we veer into that path, what we will often find is we're on a path of destruction, a, tr a path that will destroy us or hurt us in some way. But a church is a group of people who love each other enough to say, I don't care if you get mad at me. I, I don't care what you're doing. I'm going to come alongside you and I'm going to guide you back onto the right path. And I'm going to hold you accountable. And, and as a church, what we do is we come together and we form protection for each other and we grow within that protection because people are helping guide us and we are helping guide others. I'm going to say it again. If you are serious about growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ, if you are serious about becoming a better Christian, you must have a community of support around you. This is not what I want. This is the way that God designed it. Immediately after Jesus leaves, this is what we see. People getting saved, baptized, studying, and a community that builds each other up. Let's continue reading the story in Acts 2, if you've still got your Bibles open, starting in uh, 44. And all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Major point number two on your outline, a church is a community of mutual service. So we see this, this process working up where people are gathering together for teaching, they're building relationships, they're building community, they're supporting each other, and they're building these relationships, caring for each other, bearing each other's burdens. And then this, this radical action takes place. People begin to see needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ and say they have a need or they are missing this. And they go out and they take something that, that is valuable to them and they, they, they go to a pawn shop. Do they have pawn shops? I don't know. They sell their things and they take that money and they freely give it to their brothers and sisters in Christ. That'd be the equivalent of me coming in here and saying, oh, I know, I know that uh, Miss Kalita has some medical bills coming up. She does, and I'm just using her as an example. And, so, and I know that she's going to have a hard time paying those medical bills, and so I take Jessica's car, because I'm not selling my truck. I take Jessica's car, and I sell it, and I go to Glenda, and I say, Glenda, here is the thousands of dollars. Just take it. That's, that's the picture of what a church should be. Now, some of, you are, some of you are getting a little bit nervous in what I'm saying here. Now, let me, let, me be, let me be clear. This is not a command or even a suggestion that you have to sell all of your stuff and give it to the church or give it to others in the church. But it does tell you about the, uh, about the heart of the people in this early church. Their heart was to care for each other. And it tells you about the type of community they served in. It was a community of self-sacrifice. It was a community of mutual service that they lived in all of the time. And if your first reaction when I get up here and I talk about self-sacrifice is to cross your arms and say, I'm not doing that, 
Somebody else can take care of me, but I would never sell something that I have for somebody else. I would never sacrifice of my time to care for somebody when they're in time of need. I think it says a little bit about our hearts when that's the first thing that, that we say when we read the Bible, that now I'm not gonna listen to that part. It reveals the heart in us. See, listen, our church, Ramsey Heights, and every church is supposed to be a, sacrifice, a sacrificial community. And when you decide to engage in or join a church, what you're saying and what you're committing to is, I want to be a part of community where I serve and where I am served. Now listen, both of those are very important. A community where you are served. Listen, my entire job in this church is leading and guiding and making sure that your needs are met. That, that's what I, that's where my heart is. That's what I believe God calls pastors to do is making sure that you are served in the way that you were taught and making sure that our church does that. But in the same sense, it is just as important that when you enter the church that you come into this saying, I am coming here not to be served, but to serve others, to bear the burdens of my brothers and sisters, to love them as they love me and for us to support each other. And church culture, I think, sometimes misses this part of it. It's kind of like this. I got a picture coming up, RB, if you want to pull that first picture up. It's kind of like a cruise. Any of you guys ever been on a cruise? Some of you guys have. I'm, I'm jealous of you guys. A few years ago, I got on this kick of I'd get on YouTube and I'd watch some guy with a cell phone and he'd walk around the whole cruise ship and be like, these are the bathrooms. I'm like, oh, those are so cool. I've never got to go. But, but a cruise is like one of the most enjoyable things that you can go on to. It's, it's a way of literally leaving life and being kind of immersed in this city, but it, it, uh, this, this floating city. But if you think about the way a cruise, uh, cruise works is a cruise ship has a small crew of people and they serve the large masses. On this cruise ship, you have people who cook and clean and entertain and transport. And as a passenger, all you do is sit there and enjoy. I want to eat steak tonight. I want to eat hamburger tomorrow. I'm going to the pizza place for the fourth time today. All of the Dr. Pepper is free. I'm just consuming and I'm enjoying while everybody else does the work. And in some, t in some instances, in some instances, churches get a cruise ship mentality. And there's a dual fault to that. There's a dual fault to the cruise ship mentality that, that a small crew works and then I come to consume. Part of the fault of that is, is in the church itself. We have prioritized attendance until we get to the point where we're saying we will do whatever it takes to get people in the doors. I will make sure that they want to be here and I don't want to do anything that might offend them because they might not come back. So that's partially our church's fault. But that's also the fault of us as individuals because we selfishly look for people to serve us without giving anything back. And what this does is this creates a culture where people consume and they never contribute. They come to church and they take and they never give back. They never join in a community of mutual service. And this is a failure, I think, of probably every church and sometimes including Ramsey Heights in certain instances. So I want to ask you, and I want to challenge you on this. Are you a consumer, or are you a contributor here at Ramsey Heights? Are you here to join a, fam a family of mutual sacrifice, where you are going to give as well as receive? Or are you coming to a building that was paid for by other people, sitting under teachers who prepare and sacrifice time with their families and their weeks to teach you, taking your kids to be poured into by individuals who gave up coming into church so they could teach your kids and never contribute? Which one are you? And if you think about that, like, that's not normal in any circumstance to do that. It's not normal anywhere in the world to go in and say, I only take here, but I never give back. I never contribute. <laughs> think about marriage. <laughs> do you, John, take this woman to 
serve and to sacrifice, to care for and protect, to provide and be passive, while she does absolutely nothing to contribute to your relationship for the rest of your life, so long as you do live. Hold on, Reverend. What? What, what do you mean she's not going to sacrifice? Oh, no, no, no. This, this, is, this is not a marriage where each person works together. This is a marriage where one person consumes and the other contributes. So you're going to do everything, and she's going to sit on the couch, and she'll never work, and she'll never pay bills, and she'll never cook, she'll never clean. When you have kids, she's never getting up in the middle of the night. There will never be any affection from her. It's all on you. I forgot something in the truck. Can I come back here in a few minutes? Like, I, I got to go. Like, like, anybody knows that wouldn't work. What, what about at... Oh, job place. We are so glad to have hired you. We're so thankful you're here. We think you're going to be a great fit here in this workplace. It's going to be awesome. I want you to know it's going to be really hard for the first several months here. We're expecting you to work about 70 hours a week. And, oh, what? Oh, we never discuss your, your, uh, your payment package, your salary? Oh, yeah, we don't do that here. Uh, we expect you to show up and work, but we're not going to pay you. You're, just, you're being hired for this job. I, I want a different job. Would you like to buy a Sam's Club membership? All of, the, all of the products are exactly the same as every other store and they cost the same price. You're just going to give us $100 a year to come here. Anybody with a rational point of view on life understands that relationships will not function in that way. That is not a functional or a, uh, a functional or a feasible way for people to act in any circumstance. So why, why do we expect that of the church? Listen, that mentality, the cruise ship mentality, will not work. And I will tell you why it will not work. Because if you come to a church and you simply come with the mindset of I am going to consume, you will never find a church that you like. Never in a million years. And here's the reason. Because you will come into the church under the assumption of a contract that that church provides for you and you consume. And the first instance you see something in that church that you do not like, that you feel like was not provided for you or was not provided the way that you wanted it provided, you will feel like the contract that you signed with that church was broken. Hey, the whole thing, reason I come here is you give me what I want. And the first instance you think that's broken, you will leave and you will look for another church that's gonna give you what you feel like you need or you deserve. And that cycle will repeat throughout your life as you look for place after place after place that will serve you without, serve, without you serving back. And the reason I bring this up is because I feel like that if you fall in that cycle, you are missing one of the greatest blessings of being a Christian. Now, listen, being a Christian, there are like some top-tier benefits to following Christ. Like, I have my eternity secured with Jesus Christ. My sin is paid for. I can pray to the God of the universe. That still astounds me. I can talk to God, not some guy in the sky, the God who created everything. Those are the top-tier benefits of being a Christian. But there are a lot of second-tier benefits that are maybe not as great, but they're still really great. And I believe that, that one of those is, is being part of a church community. And understanding church community and having those relationships. A few years, or actually a few years ago, a few months ago, I was sitting with a group of friends and uh, we've all been married in the past few years. And of course, Jessica and I just had Oakley. She's about two years old now. And, and one of my friends, he's been with his wife for like 10 years and they haven't had kids yet. And he's very adamant, like he's in Colorado right now. Just, hey, 
tickets were cheap. I'm flying to Colorado. And I was talking to my friends, and, and of course, it always turns to picking on the guy who is different. It used to be pick on the guy who has kids, and now it's pick on the guy who doesn't have kids. So we're like, hey, buddy, when are you going to have a baby? It's about time. Y'all been together. Y'all been married five years, been dating five years before that. Are you guys, you guys going to have a baby? And, and we started, you know, kind of picking at him, and he spazzed out on us. He says, that's it. And he looked at me. He said, Brian, you were with me two years ago. You didn't want kids. You liked your freedom, and now you're one of them. He said, I think it's a conspiracy. You guys all have kids, and you're tied down, and you can't go do the things that you want, and you see my freedom, and you're jealous, and you're trying to catch me into it, too. And we all laughed, go, oh, he figured it out. But no, that's not the truth. The truth is, is that when I experienced something, when I experienced getting married, I looked at the world and said, everybody should try this. When I held my daughter for the first time, and yeah, I had to get up in the middle of the night, and, and she peed on me that one time, I told you about that, or actually several times. And all of those instances, I experienced those things, and I go, man, I, want, I can't wait to be in the hospital the day that friend has his first child. And I encourage him and I joke with him about it because I want him to have what I have, what I know to be good. And listen, as a church and as individuals, I want y'all to have what God has designed the church to be. A church of connection, not a church of consumerism. The cruise ship model of church does not work. Now instead, we would compare it more to a different boat. RB, second picture please. A church is a lot more like an aircraft carrier. It's very similar. It's a giant boat. It's basically a floating city that, that goes through the water. It's very similar, similar, but it's different in the way that it is uh, uh, manned. On an aircraft carrier, everybody contributes. Everybody has a role. In an aircraft carrier, you have the pilots, the engineers, the mechanics, the boat the boat driver or people, I don't know what those people are called, but you have those guys, you have officers and enlisted cooks, a refueling team, air traffic controllers, and they all have jobs and they all work towards a mission. Can you imagine being on an aircraft carrier and having no job? What are you doing here? Nothing. <laughs> like, like well, what's your job? I don't have one. You don't have a job. Whose commander are you under? Nobody. Well, how did you get here? Well, the truth is, uh, I, you know, I got out of boot camp and I heard that this ship was going to the Mediterranean. I thought that'd be pretty. So I asked them if they could put me here. Truth is, my bunk's a little small. Can we talk to that about some? Like, you don't see a jobless man on an aircraft carrier. You don't see people coming in and just going along for the ride. And the reason for that, the difference between that is the difference in being designed for comfort in a cruise ship and being designed for mission in an aircraft carrier. And listen to me very closely. Churches are not designed for your comfort or my comfort. Churches at their very core are designed for mission. Getting people to Christ and teaching them to follow him deeper. We are a battleship in which everybody has a job, a purpose, and everybody has a value. And, and so my challenge to you is, is to give up on the cruise ship mentality. In your bulletin, should have been handed to you when you walked in, there, there's a purple piece of paper. And I, I'm going to make this as easy on you as I can this week. If, if you're sitting here, you may fall into one of a bunch of different categories. And I'm just going to make this as easy as I can. If you will fill this out, put your phone number, on, phone number on it, and drop it in the offering plate on your way out, myself or another person will reach out to you in the following week. And this just allows you to tell us, I want somebody to reach out to me and help me grow in this area. So the first step that you have 
have here is you may have been attending here for a while and you're just kind of concerned like you you like church and you've heard about this Jesus and you're like yes I want to follow him but you don't really know how and you've been just a little bit too embarrassed to ask and if you're struggling with salvation and you don't know that you're saved and, and you want to talk with me about that if you'll just check that first one there I will be contacting you those are the first people I will be contacting this week Similarly, if you've been saved, you feel like you've made a commitment to follow Christ and you're ready to move forward with your relationship with Him and you would like to follow by being obedient in baptism, check that same box and I'll be contacting you this week. Maybe you've been saved and you've been coming here for a while and I never pushed this at invitation time, but, but you're sitting here and, and you've decided this, this is my church. I come here. This is my battleship where I serve and where I go on mission with others. If you feel like this is your church and you have not yet become a member, we would love to welcome you into membership. Uh, membership comes with some rights, which I think is what a lot of people think of. You'll have oversight. You'll have... You'll have um, uh, voting ability. Uh, you'll have the ability, some jobs we reserve for members only, like teaching. All, all of those things are available to you, but I don't want you doing that because you think you're going to get some rights out of it. I want you to say, this is where I choose to go on mission, and I'm ready for the responsibility of being a church member. If you've done both of those, or actually this is the only one that is out of order, if you feel like, you know what, I want to connect more with Ramsey Heights. I've been coming here, I come here every Sunday morning, but it's time for me to build relationships. You're going to build relationships in small group meetings. It is the best place. When I say small groups, it's what we used to call Sunday school or Wednesday night meetings. Just a group where you get a close group of people that are talking and discussing the Bible. That's where you will build relationships. And so even if you are not a Christian, even if you are not a member, if you're ready to connect more and grow in this church, I would encourage you to go ahead and check that one. And if you've done all of those things and you feel like you are ready for the next step, the last one is for a place to serve. These are sequential salvation, baptism, membership, growing in a small group, and then service. And this is not some sales pitch to say, oh, I need some workers somewhere. Can you please help me? Listen, if you really want to grow in your relationship with Christ, the people who grow most are the ones who come and they get connected and they build relationships and they find their place of service. Listen, you need connection in this church, not just attendance. So I'm going to give you guys some time to fill that out. Now, you may be looking at that and you go, Brian, I've got that all taken care of. I'm a member. I've been saved. I've served. As a matter of fact, I feel like I'm the crew on the cruise ship sometimes, taking care of everybody else. I have a, I have a challenge for me and you as well. I, I want you to, when you walk out of here today and over the next couple of weeks, I want you to just kind of look around. And I want you to count the number of people who you don't know their names. You've seen their faces. They've been here for weeks, but you don't, you don't know who they are. Never really talked to them other than kind of doing the awkward, you know, southern nod thing. Hi, you know, that thing. I want you to count that number of people, and I want you to begin to pray that God would give you one person that you can reach out to and that you can grow. Because listen, church family, if you've been here for 2, 5, 15, or 30 years, this is not a place that we want to bring people into the building. This is a church where we want to bring people into our family. This is also not a place where we sit around and judgmentally look at people and say, I wish they would do this. This is a place where we come alongside people and we grab their hand and say, let me help guide you through that. And as a church, we've got to grow in inclusion of people because what we've been doing is we've been getting within our own little small comfort bubbles and, and just kind of going about day-to-day -day routines instead of seeking to build relationships with new people or build new relationships with people, maybe I should say. So at the bottom of that page, you don't have to turn this in, but there's a blank place there that says, who is your one? 
As long as that place is blank, I want you to pray for who can I grab and engage and invite to small groups and build a relationship with and get to know better in this church. And so we've all been challenged to either engage more or to include more. We're, we're going to continue on looking at what a church looks like. If you still got your Bibles open, this is verse 46. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and, break, and the breaking of the bread from the house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So point, major point number three on your outline, if you're still filling that out, is a church is a community that is tr attractive to outsiders. Some of you are all fluttered now. Oh, he thinks we're attractive. We should be attractive to people. People should want to know what we have. If you look at the early church, the effects of this church community, it built a unique community that exists nowhere else in the world because the center of church community is Jesus Christ. And because the center of our church community is Jesus Christ, people should observe his goodness and his glory reflected in us. People look at this church and they should see me and you and see our gatherings and our work and they should see in it gentleness and peace and love and sacrifice and true care for each other. And what this creates is a reputation. If you look at verse 47, it says, everybody, everybody had a good idea. Let me read the actual verse before I misquote it. 47, uh, praising God and having favor with all the people. Favor with all the people. Uh, people liked the church. People might not have understood it. Christians are weird. We gather together. What are you guys doing tonight? Oh, we're going to eat the body and drink the blood. This is my wife. She's also my sister. You know, the church people are weird in the way that we do things. But even with all that weirdness, people looked at the church and said, there's something there that I want to be a part of. And here's what's amazing about this, is that, ab that being abnormal began to draw because the next words are that people are getting saved, that souls are added daily. So reputation in the community, number one, we are encouraged to evangelize, but number two, our reputation in a community opens opportunities for evangelism within our community. And then here's the big major point, number four. A church is a community that honors and glorifies God. And as a believer in Christ, that should be what we want. We should want to glorify God with our presence. We should want people to look at us and say, their God must be real because of the way they act. You and I have been given something amazing. We were lost in sin and darkness. We chose to live our life rejecting Jesus Christ. And God himself came and he got dirty and he dealt with sickness and he let people hate him and abuse him and murder him on a cross so that he could capture us. We should want to share that with every available opportunity with other people. And we do that. We do that in community. I want to end with a story about how, how church is mutually beneficial and what community should like, look like and what I can say would beyond a shadow of a doubt this church does look like. As many of you know, we... Uh, we said goodbye and, and conducted or had a funeral yesterday for our, our brother Norman Williams. And if you didn't get to meet him, I'm so sorry. You you really missed out. He was a magnificent man, one of the, one of the best. And I want to share with you something I shared with at his funeral yesterday. Is when he first got sick and he and he had cancer, and he knew there were some surgeries ahead, and he knew he probably wouldn't make it out. 
I went over and visited him, and he was pretty upbeat, and he walked out to the truck with me. He was pretty strong, and he walked out to the truck with me, and he said, uh, Brian, um, I want you to know, if I don't wake up, I'm okay. I'm fine. It'll be fine. I know where I'm going. Jesus is waiting on me, and if he's ready for me, I'm ready to go. And then he said to me, he said, would you make sure my family is taken care of? Now, I find it interesting that, that when you come to the end of your life, and you're facing the end, and you begin to look, at, look for hope, I think, I think the hope that you have at the end of your life is maybe one of the most important things from your life. And I love where Norman Williams found his hope. When he asked himself, what's gonna happen to me? He found his hope in the work of Jesus Christ who came here and sought him and loved him and gave his life for him. And he left here, he left here with full assurance. He left here with full assurance that that's where he's going and I'm fully assured that that's where he is too. But secondly, the second thing that he put his hope in was for the second question, he said, what will happen to my family? And you know where he reached out? He reached out to us to take care of his family. And that's not because he dropped money in the offering plate. It's not because he held some magical status of member. It's not because he was here. It's not because we owed him anything. It's not because he had paid his dues, quote unquote. He knew he could count on his church family because he had spent 40 years building and fostering relationships within this church. And he knew the people were here and knew they could be counted on. And he had faith and confidence in our love for him. And Wednesday when I got off work, the day that he passed away, I went over to the Williams household and I didn't know what I would find. But you know what I found? I found the church there. And as I was there throughout the week, I wasn't there for more than five or 10 minutes at any period of time without church members coming in and bringing food and offering encouragement and support. This is what a mutual, this is what a mutual community looks like. This is what it looks like to be part of a church. And so this morning, as we, as we finish up, this is our reflection time. I just want to encourage you that you need to think about where you're going to find your hope at one day. Because every last one of us are going to have the day when we get the news we're not going to be here much longer and people will gather for us. And first and foremost, I hope you have your hope and your encouragement and your contentment found in Jesus Christ and the fact that death is not the end for you that you will not be separated from him, that you will not bear the punishment of your sins. But secondly, I hope that you can have the comfort that I know that Norman had in knowing my church has this because I know them and I'm close to them and I love them and they love me. This is our time for prayer. If you want to reflect over that sheet of paper and think about filling that out, I would encourage you to do that. You're more than, like, or more than welcome to come pray up here. I would love to pray with you. But don't leave here the same as you came in. Please stand.